Yeah, let's pray. This is good stuff. Good stuff going on. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to gather together, to encourage one another, uh, to to uh, keep following you and pursuing, growing in our understanding of who you are and what you want for us. And so we are just uh, just thankful, thankful to be here to sing, uh, sing the truth and to hear the truth and. Lord, we also just ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We do uh, lift up, uh, you know, folks in the church that are not feeling well, that are ill, or are struggling with uh, just battling a disease. We we pray for your healing power, and we ask uh, for your comfort to be very present and very uh, well experienced by them. And we we pray, God, that. Um, uh, help those that are struggling just in following you. Uh, we pray that you would you know, strengthen their hands, uh, help them to fight the battle of faith well, and for us to also be beside them. And uh, Lord, we, we just give you thanks for all that you've done for us in Jesus, uh, for, your, for your grace, um, for your forgiveness, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing and we're kind of closing the chapter, so to speak, but not really like the chapter. Like we're closing a, a part of this book uh, because this is the this is these two chapters we're actually covering today. Um, kind of uh, completes that part of First Kings where you're kind of going through all these lists of kings, and this guy was a bonehead, and this guy wasn't. And, you know, you know that kind of a thing. Um, and then when you get to chapter 17, that's when uh, some amazingly cool kinds of powerful stuff happens because Elijah comes on the scene. I mean, it's just kind of, I'm excited about that too. But anyway, so, so, but when you get to parts of scripture like this and you are wondering, what is this here for? You know, it, it is historical narrative. You know, we're, we're learning about what happened here with God's people. Um, uh, I, I came to be asking the question after I read these two chapters, well, not only could it get any worse, was the first question I asked, was like, you know, this is getting really bad. The kings that are leading now a divided nation. Um, but it also just thinking, you know, is there a better king around somewhere? Right, and so that's why the title is uh, "The Search for a Better King." All right, and so uh, the way uh, I'm going to handle that this this morning is uh, we're not going to read all of these two chapters, First Kings 15 and 16, but I do have some of the verses up here from those today, um, just to kind of see what the passage says about these different kings. And and um, the first thing I want to do is uh, just kind of look at the northern kings. Uh, as you recall, last Sunday, uh, w- when we went over the chapters 12 to 14, we, we saw how God's people split apart, right? And now there's this northern part of God's people called Israel, uh, 10 tribes up there, and then this southern group uh, remnant left there near Jerusalem, uh, that group called Judah, uh, two tribes there. And uh, don't forget, though, that um, there in Judah, the kings that are coming out of there, 
really are of the Davidic line. Okay, they're really the true heirs to the throne uh, and the continuation of David's uh, uh, lineage. Okay, so keep that in mind. Um, so um, there's not one good king in the north in these two chapters, not one. Uh, and so I want to just take a look at their names and some of the things that are said about them. And so we've got uh, Nadab here in First uh, Kings fifteen twenty-five to twenty-eight. I'm not doing this in order that they appear necessarily. Um, and so let me just read this. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began the reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. <clears throat> Basha, uh, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. For Nadab and all Israel were laying seas to Gibbethon. So Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. All right, so there you have Nadab. All right, and so basically, you know, he followed in the footsteps of his father, you know, who, who uh, was not following the Lord, who led the people of God astray, allowed them to, uh, and led them in worshiping idols, right? And so... Next, we have uh, Basha that we just read about there, and let's see what the commentary is about his reign. Verse 32, uh, and there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, uh, all their days. Now, uh, we haven't talked about Asa yet, but he's the king there in Judah, okay? And so these guys are battling each other, and uh, I don't know if you remember, but last week, God gave them the instruction, don't fight your brothers. Basically, he's like, don't fight each other. Uh, they're not listening. All right, so here in verse 33, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over all Israel at Tizra, and he reigned 24 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. It's funny how you, I'm not funny, but it's interesting to know that Almost every one of these kings of Israel, it mentions that he followed in the footsteps of Jeroboam. He just followed what his dad did, right? And it's kind of a it's very sobering reminder that you know, um, not you know, not that children don't have their own will and so on, but but the fact that parents have an impact uh, positively and negatively on their kids, you know, uh, and set an example. So. Uh, continuing on here after this uh, is Elah, all right? And, and now we're in chapter 16, verses 8 to 10. Again, still with the northern kings. In the, 20 year, in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, began to reign over Israel and Tizra, and he reigned two years. But his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. When he was at Tizra, drinking himself drunk in the house of Azra, who was over the household of Tizra, Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him. And in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So he was drunk. This other guy comes in and kills him, assassinates him. As you can see, 
We're just spiraling down, right? King after king in the northern ten tribes, right? All right, so let's look at Zimri. Zimri, verses 15 to 19 here in chapter 16. Um, In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days. Now that's, one, he didn't make it one week, okay? I mean, that's, that's like, just, could you just leave that out, you know? If you were him, you're like, I don't want anybody to know, is this a seven-day stint? But, okay, Zimri reigned seven days in Tizer. Now the troops were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. And the troops who were encamped heard it and said, Zimri has conspired and he has killed the king. Therefore, all Israel made Omri the commander of the Omri uh, of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Uh, so Omri went up from Gibbethon and all Israel with him, and they besieged Tizra, verse 18. And when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house over him with fire and died. Because of, his, because of his sins that he had committed, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam, and for his sin which he committed, making Israel to sin. So he committed suicide, basically. Right? Um, all right, so we're, we're continuing on now. Omri is now king in the north. And Omri, it says here in verse 25, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. Right? Just imagine yourself reading all these. I mean, I haven't read all the verses, but this is just, these are the highlights, right? And uh, it's, you know, if you're thinking, uh, if you're one of God's people, you're just thinking, man, this is really bad. I mean, this is, you, you just feel, uh, what, is, what is up? Why can't they shake out of this, this uh, following in their father's footsteps, right? Okay, <clears throat> now... After Omri, and you may remember this name because uh, this guy is going to tangle with Elijah, and his name is Ahab. Ahab, King Ahab, verse, uh, chapter 16, verses 29 to 33 says, In the 38th uh, year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel, and Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Verse 32, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel, who were before him. It's just they're upping the evil as they go along, right? And so, uh, so there we have uh, <clears throat> all of these, these different kings. So um, it's terrible. Um, does that say the same thing? should say southern kings. Uh, should say southern kings. I think I copied and pasted the wrong thing. So here we're here we're now now we're talking about the southern kings. There's there's two that are mentioned here, um, and so this uh, first one, Abijam. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijah began to reign over Judah. So these are the southern. Should say the titles here again should be southern kings, uh, Judah in parenthesis. All right, 
And so uh, here's what it says about him in the first five verses of chapter 15. It says, Now in the 18th year of King Rehoboam, the son of Nebat, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. Uh, now that'll become important here in a minute, like the first time he's, he mentions somebody's mother's name. All right. Um, and he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. So now how we're linking back to David. Remember, uh, these kings coming out of Judah are of the line of David. And everybody's going to get compared to David. All right. Um, it says, nevertheless, so even though he committed this evil, Listen to what it says. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. In other words, he didn't cut off the line. He's keeping true to his promise to David. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and this is what it says. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him in all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You know? So everybody remembers that, right? Sitting with Bathsheba and, and uh, committing uh, murder there with, uh, with her husband. All right, so now uh, we get to the nice, bright, shining light of the two chapters, and that is King Asa. All right, King Asa, again, this should say southern, southern uh, kings, all right, and uh, in verses 9 to 24, I'm not going to read them all here, and I don't have them up here, but I just want to, to draw your attention here, if you happen to have your Bible or in your device, to 1 Kings 15. And I'll take a look, starting right around verse 9. 1 Kings 15, verse 9, it says, In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom, and Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. And then it says, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. You see, he's starting to clean house. He's starting to have like some spiritual reform going on here. Um, and again, this, out of all these kings, and there's only two mentioned in the southern kingdoms here, this, he's our bright shining star here. Uh, then in verse 13, he also removed Makkah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. So she was promoting idolatry. And so they had this like queen mother position and he like demoted her because she's, you know, sinning against God and leading people astray. So he's like, you know, sorry, mom, you're not doing that anymore, right? We're, we're not doing that anymore. Um, and so it says that Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook, uh, at the brook Kidron. Verse 14. Now listen to this. So he's doing all these reforms, right? He's doing all these spiritual reforms, trying to get things right in the country there, spiritually speaking. But it does say, verse 14, but the high places were not taken away. The high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. So there was this thing he didn't take care of. We don't know why. Okay, we're kind of left to speculate. You know, maybe he just didn't really 
maybe it was too difficult, maybe they were everywhere, or we don't know why. But it is interesting it mentions that. He does all these other things, but there's one thing he didn't do. He didn't tear down the high places, these places of idol worship, uh, other, other places of idol worship. So, um, so even though, my, my take on this here is that, you know, even though he did all these wonderful things, he wasn't perfect. <laughs> he wasn't the perfect king. There's still some things that he was flawed in, but it seems like the scripture does tell us that he, his heart was trying to be in the right place, like his father David. You know, we know David wasn't perfect, but it, he did have, he was a man after God's own heart. That's what it said. And so we get the sense that Asa was like that. And of course, that's what God wants of us, right? He wants us to have a heart for him, for the, uh, our heart to beat for the things that, that cause his heart to, to beat and the things that matter to him to matter to us and the things that break his heart to break our heart and so on. And so, um, but, but this is what it says about him. And, and that, you know, he's, he, I don't, he's not perfect, but he has a, he's, he's a man after God's own heart. And so, um, again, this kind of brings us down to what does this all have to do with us? You know, when we read all this information and we see the pattern that's going on here, the North, really bad situation going on here. We have a, now finally a, a little bit of light there in the South. Um, and so, you know, again, it just, I think, begs the question, uh, is there a better king? And the answer is yes, and every children in Sunday school knows the answer is Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus is the better king. He's the best king, all right? Um, and I don't know if you've really thought about this before. Of course, you know, uh, anybody that doesn't really not that familiar with Christianity or their Bible, you know, you know now Jesus wasn't a king in the Old Testament, right? He, he lived in the New Testament times, okay? And, but uh, he has been ascribed a title, and has fulfilled different roles, prophet, priest, and king being among those. All right, and so let's talk about this king. Jesus is greater. Uh, he's a greater prophet than Moses, is greater priest than Melchizedek. This is borne out in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It mentions that. He's, he's better than. I mean, if there's a theme that you could write for the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it would be Jesus is better than you name it, all right? Uh, any other aspect of things that have gone before that point, pointed forward to, uh, to what God was doing. Jesus is better than all that. And so, but Christ is a greater king than David. I mean, anybody would have asked in Old Testament times, who's the greatest king? <clears throat> David. <clears throat> David, he's the man, right? Um, and that's why I think the author there of First Kings is really dialed into those people in Judah, always comparing them to David. Right? And so, Jesus, think about this in terms of Jesus as king. He rules over the church as a whole, but he rules over each individual Christian. His kingly role is prophesied about in the Old Testament. All right? This, this kingly role. So, just so you don't think that I'm just kind of making stuff, stuff up here that Jesus is king, I want you to see that uh, there's references to this in the Old Testament, one of which. Uh, it has to go back to relinking it back to David and a promise that God made to David. Uh, I don't have it up here, <clears throat> but I do want to uh, mention 2 Samuel 7. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Listen to what it says here. It's, a, it's about uh, God made a promise to David through the prophet Nathan. And here's what the promise says. It says, 
when your days, so 2 Samuel 7, uh, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up, for, raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and will establish, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Remember, David wanted to build a house for God's name. God says, no, you're not going to be the guy asking him about your son. But David amassed all the materials and got together all the funds so that it could happen. Okay? Uh, so he says, he shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. All right? So this kind of kingly reign of the line of David, forever. That means like even now, right? Forever. This would be part of forever, right? Um, and he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I uh, put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And this is this, I'm focusing in on that part of the promise. This forever promise that there will always be uh, a king of the Davidic line. Okay? And so, uh, so this one day, an everlasting throne in an everlasting kingdom would be filled by one of David's descendants. Right? Well, then you get to the New Testament and you start reading the genealogy there in Matthew and all these, right? And the Gospels, and you see, oh, the Messiah is coming through the line of David. Whoa, promise fulfilled, right? And, and so, so when we read that, right, and, and you, you start making connections, when Jesus starts telling Pilate in John 18, he says in John 18, verse 26, this is what Jesus says to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have, been, uh, would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to, said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is uh, of the truth listens to my voice. Uh, so he's basically saying, I have a kingdom, it's not of this world, and I am the king. Right, so here we have it. Jesus of the Davidic line, his kingdom lasts forever. Uh, isn't it interesting that Paul says of Jesus in 1 Timothy 6.15, he calls him the king of kings, right? So I'm just, I'm just trying laying out a case here for you. This forever king that was promised to David is coming out as the Messiah, right? Jesus, the greater king right? The compassionate king, the loving king, the king of love and, uh, and truth, right? Um, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's, I mean, that's what a, a king really is, to serve the people, um, really. I mean, not just to wield their power. We talked about that last week, you know, to have a servant's heart, really, is what a king is to do so that his people can flourish. The last thing I want to mention about this before really getting to some practical applications for us. Because what this is doing is this is showing us that Jesus is the rightful king, the forever king, right? The king of kings. But in Revelation 19, and I hadn't been in Revelation for a while, uh, so listen to this. Revelation 19, starting with verse 11. Revelation 19, 11 says, 
Then I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. Okay. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. You know, that can connect you back to John chapter 1, right? Uh, Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, right? Verse 14, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them, listen to that, he will rule them with a rod of iron, Iron, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus, King of Kings, Lords of Lords. He is King Jesus. Okay? And so is there a better king? You bet you there is. His name is Jesus, and he deserves that rightful place in everyone's life. Okay? Uh, and, and this is where I, I want to just finish out with this and, <clears throat> and just talking about what does Jesus' kingly ministry mean for us believers today? In other words, the fact that Jesus is king, and if you put your faith, uh, if you have put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and have a, a relationship with God because of that, um, what does his, his kingly ministry have uh, to do with us today? All right, there's really three things. And the one thing I want to mention is this, that, okay, his kingly rule, right? Because we're so not used to working in the world of kings and queens, right? Uh, we have a democracy, not a monarchy, right? Uh, so, but, but we need to think differently in terms of our relationship with God, that Jesus is king, and we are, in a sense, his subjects. And he reigns and rules over us, as believers, and really what we need to do is to trust his sovereign rule over everything. In other words, he's, he's in control over everything that's going on in our lives, right? He is, um, you know, he is, he is operating in this way. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him, listen, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now what does that tell you? If, if, if God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, everything that you deem good, he's working in. And everything that you deem, deem it not so good, he's also working in. Right? Everything. He's working in everything. Believers recognize the sovereignty of God displayed in the reign of Christ, and we trust Him with our life. Right? And so if Jesus, if Jesus is really king in my life, I trust Him with everything, and I believe that uh, He always, and we, I say this all the time, but we've got to remember this, He always has our best in mind, regardless of whether what it is is painful or joyful. Does that make sense? Always, always, always. And so 
He's always working to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, to be more like Jesus in his character. Sometimes that's painful, right? So when things are going well, Jesus is reigning. When things uh, do not go so well in our eyes, he's also reigning. He's reigning through those circumstances to make us more like Jesus. Now the question is, do you believe that, right? We can say we understand this, but maybe there's something happening right now where you're fighting God on it, right? And he's wanting you to just kind of um, acknowledge his reign in your life, that he is actually working, right? And to trust him, all right? So, and, and so really, you know, um, when sometimes when I worship or it, through singing, uh, I'll have my hands open like this, and other people will, or some people do this. And you're, you know, and since your posture doesn't really matter, but for me, it's more symbolic of okay, God, it's yours. You know what's going on in my life, you're, or you have me, or whatever. It's kind of a surrender. That's how I see it. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that you know whether it's in your heart or expressed physically, that should be our that should be our way, right, Lord. Uh, I, I want to submit to your rule and your reign, which means everything that's going on, everything that happens this minute of this day, he is operating in and through. Now, the second thing is this, that as we think about Jesus' kingly ministry, the, the implication for us today is that, um, is that we, we submit to Jesus' rule and reign in our lives. Um, and that means, by this I'm really getting at obedience, okay? Um, the first one has to do with kind of trusting that he's in control. This one really has to do with when Jesus says, go, I go, and Jesus says, stay, I stay, say, when he says, do this, I, I'm, I should be fine with it. If he says, don't do that, I should be fine with that, right? Uh, that's, that's really... Um, the way we should be is to submit... Um, not a popular word, but but certainly something that Jesus would uh, and does ask of us that we submit to his rule and reign. You know, um, Romans 10.9 says, but if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, you know, we need to see that he is the Lord, right? Who he really is, right? To really receive him. Uh, but then in John 14.15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will do whatever you want. Nah, that's the book of Second Heretics. Uh, no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? In other words, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna follow me, which following me means uh, keeping my commandments and obeying me. I was uh, picked up a book off my shelf I haven't looked at for a while. It's called True Discipleship. And uh, something struck me in there uh, about this. Talking about following Jesus. Um, he says, um, it quotes Matthew 16, 24. It says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's the call to discipleship, right? He's saying, uh, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself, and you're going to have to take up your cross, and you're going to have to follow me. And the author here focuses in on 
follow me. It's like, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to follow Jesus' way. You know, like model him, in, in, the, in a sense. You know, follow his way of life. Well, you know what his way of life was? Obedience. Obedience to the will of God. Right? He submitted his will to God's will. Doesn't that come out in his model prayer, right? Not my, you know, he, he, well, even when he's going to the cross, he's saying, not my will, but yours be done. But, um, but, but even just submitting our will to God's will in the disciples' prayer, or some people call it the Lord's prayer, right? And, and really just saying, you know, you know we, we all acknowledge our need for forgiveness, I hope, or hopefully you will if you haven't, that we know that we fall short and we don't always obey as we should. But that does not negate the fact that we need to obey, right? And I do think that sometimes... We, we kind of just let that slide, just thinking, oh, you know, Jesus has got me covered. I'm good. He doesn't, it's not a big sin, you know. Well, if God says not, then we are to not, you know. I'm just saying, this is what it means if Jesus is reigning in your life, right? Um, and so my question for you is, have you, have you, are you allowing him that reign? In, in this way, like, in other words, are you, con- are you concerned about what God is concerned about? And the only way you're going to know that is the scriptures, right? Do you bring him into your dating relationships if you're dating? And say, you know, like Jesus is right there hanging with you at the date. You know, that might put some things in perspective for some people. I don't know. But, you know, uh, you know, because if he, you're allowing him to have rule and reign, then you care about what he says about, you know, physicality before uh, marriage and all that. You know, I know it sounds like I'm ancient, but this is Bible stuff, right? This is what God says, okay? And he has good reason for it because he wants you, if you do get married, he wants your sex life to be great. And some things that happen beforehand can also put a hamper on that. Not that God can't heal it, but I'm just saying it can, right? And so I don't know why I went the way of sex, Luke. Why was that? Uh, don't even answer that. But I'm just saying, you know, these, this is the, what picked your topic, finances, right? Finances. Do you know what it means to be a good steward? What God says about money? He says a lot, he actually says a lot about money. In the Not just about tithing, but, but, but a lot about money, right? And, and saving for the future and, and being generous also. Um, you know, he, he cares about those things. So, um, I'm just saying this to say that, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, we're going to be submitting to his rule and reign. And I'm just, I'm just, I tell you, what, I'm on a mission uh, of sorts because I just feel like people are not in the word. They're not in it. When I talk to people, oh yeah, I'm really struggling with my quiet times, you know, and I get it. Like I've been there, but you know, how long have you been there? And what are you doing about it? Uh, you got to be meeting with God, I I think. I I think, what did Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, what did he do? He regularly pulled away to get time with the Father, right? That's what we need to do, right? We want to be followers of Jesus. And and there's um, there's just a lack, not only of knowledge of the Word of God and information, but just putting ourselves under it. You know, um, how many people here usually hit the brake when you see the cop 
coming up, up ahead of you on 270. Okay, everybody does. Oh, don't even know. You know, I may have even been on cruise control. You don't do that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, to, to kind of, because we're, that's an authority, right? You know, this has way more authority than any police officer does, okay? Or should have, right? And so I, I'm just kind of challenging everybody to say, listen, um, do these words have weight in my life or not? Do I care what God says about blank that's going on in my life or blank relationship that I have? Whatever, right? And so I, I just want to challenge people, and I'm going to be doing some things hopefully that will try to encourage people to be in the Word, but uh, it's really just on my mind and my heart because I feel like it's slipping. And, you know, and it, like I said, we're not perfect, but, you know, get in the Word. Get in the, and I'll tell you what, if somebody here does not know what to do besides read their Bible or, or have some idea, you want some ideas that might encourage you in your time with God, just send me an email or talk to me because I, I would love to talk to you about... Um, what might be helpful, okay? All right. All right, so the last thing here. What does Jesus' kingly ministry mean for us as believers today? We look forward to his coming kingdom. He is reigning now, but in, in all of his fullness, in a greater way, his kingdom's going to come here, like in a physical way. The new heavens, the new earth, all of that, okay? And so we look forward to that, um, if, if he is our king, we're looking forward to the return of the king. Oh, that sounds familiar, right? Uh, we're looking forward to that. And <clears throat> something I read this week in my personal devotions, um, it's, it, it's been taking me through First Peter. And let me just read this. First Peter uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 6 talks about their salvation. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, uh, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, and so he, he's talking about, hey, you're going to experience grief through your trials. In their case, it was a particular type of suffering, all right? Um, but their trials were, were causing them grief and pain. Uh, and so he's, he's trying to help them get some perspective here. He says in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Though you have not seen him, meaning Jesus, you love him, getting back to that relationship. Though you do not see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted that the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so, he, he, what he's doing here is he's kind of saying, I know you're going to have these grievous trials right now, but there is a future that's coming, right? And there's reward in that. And as you go through these trials, actually there will be praise as a reward, I believe it's saying there. 
at, at the return of the Lord. And so he's trying to get us to look forward, right, while we're going through the stuff now. And that's what I was thinking about as I said, we look forward to uh, the, the king's coming, right? And kind of the consummation of Christ's reign when all sin will be defeated, right? Just think about that. No more sin. Woo! Yeah. And, and, and no more, uh, you know, sorrow and we'll be fully enjoying the presence of God forever. That's what we, just a, a, a mention of a few things that we will experience then. All right, so, so is there a better king? You betcha. It's Jesus, and the question is, are you allowing him to reign? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we are um, thankful that we have a better king, thankful that Jesus Christ, he is reigning and ruling right now. He's at the right hand of God the Father, and he is, there's not one thing that happens today in every person on the planet that he's not aware of, which just blows my mind. And so, Lord, we're just so thankful that that's who you are. But yet, God, I just pray, Lord, if we're not putting you in the proper place in our daily life, that we would submit and confess. Say, Lord, I've not really made you a priority. I've not really let you reign in different areas of my life. Um, uh, And I want you to have full access to the different areas of my life. And I want to know what you have to say about them. And I want to... I want to be one who submits to you. Not just trust that you're working, but also uh, submits to your word. God, make us a people of the book. Make us a people who, who, who just long to spend time with the Savior. Sitting at his feet, listening to the word, praying, talking to our, our Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, uh, for that privilege that we can do that. But Lord... Uh, make it more so in our lives, that our lives, uh, our time with you, our personal devotions, whatever you want to call it, um, would be uh, soul-strengthening, not just something we do out of duty, but would be just soul-satisfying. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.